Hey guys, welcome to XA Live. We're so glad that you could join us tonight. Um, if we haven't had a chance to meet, my name is Emily, um, and thank you for taking some time out of your week to go through James Bryant Smith's book, The Good and Beautiful God with us, and study the character of the God that Jesus knew. So if you guys have been with us throughout the semester, you know that we have been studying some pretty surprising and great characteristics about the God that Jesus knew that we wouldn't necessarily expect based on just life and the way that we have been taught to think about God and religion. Um, we've talked about how God is good and trustworthy, and even in the hardest of circumstances, we can trust him to be present with us through it all and care about us. We've talked about God's love and his generosity and how his love and favor and blessings aren't dependent on our good behavior or what we learn or what we earn. And last week, Joe talked about God's holiness and how even though sometimes it can be sort of misunderstood as anger, his holiness and the fact that he cares about sin really shows us that he cares about us and wants goodness and justice for all of us. But the truth about God's character that we're going to talk about tonight might be the most important thing that we've talked about all semester. It might honestly be the most important thing that we can understand about our God. Because it's this truth that sets our God apart from the God of every other religion on earth. And it's, it's because of this truth that we can really appreciate the good things about our God because if this weren't true, it wouldn't matter to us how good he is because we wouldn't be able to know him. And the thing that we're talking about tonight is that God is self-sacrificing. We don't have to earn our way to God. Instead, he made a way for us by sending his son Jesus to take on his wrath and pay the price for our sins so that we wouldn't have to. It's such an amazing truth, but can I be honest with you tonight? Sometimes I find myself taking this for granted, even though it's at the core of everything that I believe about Christianity and about God. I think because I grew up in the church and I grew up hearing the story of Jesus on the cross over and over again, I know all the details and when I hear it, I can become desensitized to it and be tempted to tune it out. And even more than that, I think this is such a profound truth that without the help of the Holy Spirit, we really can't understand its significance. And we have a tendency to gloss over it because we just, we, we get tired of hearing the story and, and we don't grasp the significance of God's self-sacrifice in our lives. So tonight was challenging as I was approaching it because this is a 15-minute YouTube sermon, so I can't give a whole theology lesson about the significance of the Incarnation and the Crucifixion. Um, and anything I really do say is going to fall short of communicating the meaning of God's self-sacrifice for us, because the Holy Spirit is the only one who can do that anyway. But I do believe in the power of the Spirit to speak through his scripture that he's inspired. And I do believe that if we can see Jesus, if we can really get a picture of what God's sacrifice in Jesus meant to him, if we can see a little bit of his suffering, then maybe we can understand 
God's sacrifice and its significance in our lives a little bit better. So tonight, I wanna take a look at one of the passages that's always been significant for me in this area. Um, I wanna look at Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. And I wanna see if we can get a picture of his experience there and what that means that God's self-sacrifice means for us. So Holy Spirit, I pray that you would speak through me tonight, speak through your scriptures tonight, and help us to really understand as much as we can here on earth, God's self-sacrifice. Help us not to glance over these details because we're familiar with them, but to stop and really take time to picture Jesus in the garden and see what he's going through here. Would you communicate to us individually what this means for us on a personal level? And would we leave tonight understanding you and understanding your love for us in a new and different way? Holy Spirit, everything tonight is for your glory, for the glory of God. Thank you for speaking to us. The night before Jesus was crucified, he had the Jewish Passover meal with his disciples. And during dinner, he stood up and he said, my blood is about to be spilled for the forgiveness of sins. He didn't fully under, or the disciples didn't fully understand what Jesus was saying, but, but he knew. In fact, he had predicted his death over three times to his disciples during his ministry, talking about how he would be captured by the Roman authorities and, and killed, and then three days later he would rise again from the dead. He had talked about how he was sent from God to earth specifically for this purpose. And nothing in about the next 24 hours was a surprise to him. He knew what was coming, and he knew that his death wouldn't be permanent, that he would be resurrected again and seated with his Father in heaven to experience glory. And this is what makes what happens directly after dinner a little bit surprising. Jesus takes his disciples to Gethsemane, a garden on the edge of Jerusalem where they would frequently go in the evenings to spend time together relaxing and praying, where Jesus would go to commune with his Father. And on this night, when he takes the disciples, he leaves most of them at the entrance to Gethsemane, and he takes only his three closest friends, Peter, James, and John, with him farther into the garden. Let's pick up with the scriptures in Matthew 26, verse 37. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. The English translation doesn't quite capture the intensity of the emotions that Jesus is experiencing in this moment. He's not just a little bit sad or a little bit scared of the cross. The language suggests that Jesus is grieving as if he'd lost someone he loved. He is anxious and terrified to the point of, of being restless, of not being able to control his body or his breath. He's so overcome with the weight and heaviness of the situation that instead of praying standing up as he normally would, he falls to the ground. And Luke's gospel said that he experienced so much anguish that his sweat became like drops of blood falling to the ground. Verse 39, 
Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, crying out loudly and continuously, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. It's surprising to see Jesus, this man who has spent three years on earth predicting his death, and this whole time has been more or less even keeled. We don't see him expressing strong emotions more than a few times in the gospel. And he's this whole time been laser focused on the cross, telling his disciples that he's headed to the cross. And yet right now, he's kind of falling apart. And it's even more surprising, though his prayer ends in submission to God's will, to hear him even ask God to change his situation. It's surprising because crucifixion is terrible, don't get me wrong, especially for a man who did nothing to deserve it. But there have been other people throughout the history of the world who have experienced torture and slow, gruesome death and faced it with much more mental and emotional fortitude than we see Jesus display in this moment. And more than that, Jesus knew that this was going to happen and he knew that it wasn't permanent, that whatever he experienced on the cross in the next 24 hours would be, would be wiped away as he is resurrected from the dead and reunited with his father. So it begs the question, why is Jesus so distraught? Why the emotional turmoil in the garden here? And I think the key is in that prayer that Jesus prayed, Father, take this cup from me. In the Old Testament, a cup was a, a symbol, a picture of God's wrath poured out on sin. Isaiah describes the cup as containing a staggering anger Jeremiah says that the one who drinks the cup of wrath will go mad because of the things that happen to him as a result. And Habakkuk says that the one who drinks the cup will be utterly disgraced. And maybe Jesus in Gethsemane is getting a picture, getting a glimpse for the first time of the full weight of what he's about to take on for us at the cross. What is Jesus seeing as he stares God's wrath in the face for the first time? Is the one who has never known sin suddenly experiencing all the grief and all the sorrow and all the heaviness that is the result of the brokenness found in the entire world? I think about the way that I felt in my own body over summer as I watched the video of George Floyd's death. The, the weight and the exhaustion and the grief and the heaviness of seeing that kind of sin and that kind of brokenness right in front of me. And I wonder if maybe that's some fraction of the emotion that Jesus is feeling, that, that heaviness that makes him fall to the ground. Or maybe Jesus, who has always known the presence of his Father, the loving, protective presence, he's never been separated from it. Maybe he's realizing that when, as it says in 2 Corinthians, he becomes sin in our place, that his father is going to see him as a curse, that he is going to be cursed in the eyes of a holy God and separated from the presence of his father for the first time in his entire life. And maybe that is why he experiences so much anxiety in the garden, because he's facing loneliness and abandonment for the first time in his life. The truth is, 
We'll never fully know what Jesus saw when he looked into the cup of God's wrath that night in the garden, except for one thing. Verse 42, he went away a second time and prayed, my father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. Beyond the horrors of whatever Jesus saw in the cup of God's wrath in the garden that night, beyond the emotion of that moment, beyond even the events of the cross that he would go through in the next 24 hours, Jesus saw you and me. And he realized that he had a heavenly father who was a holy God, and that that cup of wrath would not disappear unless someone drank it because God was going to make someone pay for the things that were hurting the earth. And Jesus looked and he saw you and me who fully deserved to take on that wrath. And he saw himself, an innocent person who had never done anything in his life to deserve what was about to happen. And in that moment, he loved us so much that even in the midst of that strong emotion, even in the midst of the terror and the horror of what he saw was about to happen, he had the love for us that it took to pray, Father, if someone has to drink this cup of wrath, if someone has to pay for sin, let it be me and not them. And from that moment, Jesus sets his eyes on the cross. He squares his jaw again, and he, he is laser-focused on the cross. He is that man who has been determined for his whole ministry, and we never see him hesitate from that point forward because he has made his choice that self-sacrifice for us is worth it. Hebrews 12.2 says that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. For the joy set before him. Can you imagine that Jesus would call the cross joy because it meant that he is saving us from God's wrath? The joy that he anticipates is, is taking on that suffering so that we don't have to. The joy of sacrificing himself for you and for me. It's difficult to comprehend the full weight and significance of God's self-sacrifice in Jesus on the cross. It's really easy because it's a familiar story to just glance over the details and to, to not realize what that means for us. But tonight, as we go away, may we remember what we've seen of Jesus in the garden. May we look at him. May we see his suffering. And may we ask ourselves and ask the Holy Spirit to show us what this means for us, to communicate that significance to us. What do Jesus' emotions in the garden tell us about the gravity of what he experienced on the cross? And even more than that, what does it mean that he would count taking on God's wrath in our place as joy? What does that mean about how he sees us, how he loves us? And what does that mean about our good and beautiful God, that he is so self-sacrificing, that he would let his son Jesus, a part of him, die in the place of us so that we would not have to suffer his wrath. So Father, I, I thank you for your self-sacrifice. I thank you for Jesus on the cross. God, I pray that over this next week that you would give us all 
moments of stillness where we can come back to these scriptures and contemplate what your sacrifice means for us as individuals. God, may we not glance past your suffering on the cross. May we see how much you love us in those details. And Lord, would that change the way we see ourselves? Would that change the way we see you? And would that change the way we see the people around us? It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.